Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's about the Bills and the beer. Now, here's your host, John Murphy. Hello there. Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. I'm John Murphy, the play-by-play radio voice of the Buffalo Bills. Happy to have you with us. This is podcast number 18, believe it or not. We get started with a lot. We got a, a full slate today. Going to talk in a minute with Ross Tucker, who's a radio man. He did the radio uh, color of the Bills and the Indianapolis Colts last Saturday, all set up to come to Orchard Park. He did last week's virtually coming to Orchard Park Saturday to do the Bills and the Baltimore Ravens for Westwood One Radio. Ross Tucker joins us, former Bills offensive lineman. Also on the show, a look at the Ravens from Nestor Aparicio from WNST Radio in Baltimore, longtime radio hosts and uh, uh, football expert in Baltimore. Nestor Aparicio joins us on a segment, segment two today. Going to talk beer with Brian Durand of Short Point Distribution in New Jersey. They cover the central part of New Jersey, eight counties. They're based in Freehold, New Jersey. Sullivan's is on their menu starting next week. Brian Durand will talk about that, talk about beer distribution during COVID. Brian Durand of Short Point Distribution coming up on the podcast today. And, of course, we're going to talk a lot about the playoffs. We're brought to you by Sullivan's Brewing Company. They're our sponsors. They come to us from Kilkenny, Ireland, the makers of Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Irish Gold Ale, Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. It's available in uh, pubs and bars all over the place, all over upstate New York, the Buffalo area, what is known as Bill's Country. You can find Sullivan's just about any place here. Available downstate New York, New York City, Long Island. Available in New Jersey, thanks in large part to what Short Point set out to do. Uh, in New Jersey, north and south soon. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Cleveland and Columbus, Ohio, available in Atlanta and Savannah, Georgia. Sullivan's Brewing, they're our sponsors today. On the podcast today, going to talk a lot about the Bills as they get set for the divisional round of the playoffs, coming off a solid win against the Indianapolis Colts in the wildcard playoff uh, game last Saturday. Now look, the start. It's unrealistic to expect 30 or more points every week, especially against playoff teams now, good teams. They did score 27. The Bills were solid in the red zone last Saturday. Josh Allen was pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. There were red flags worth watching this coming weekend as they get set to play Baltimore. The defense of the Bills gave up 5.5 yards per carry on the ground, and here comes the NFL's number one rushing offense. The defense did not pressure quarterback uh, Phillip Rivers or hurry him much. He was getting rid of the ball quickly, but they allowed the uh, Colts offense to make some plays. And I think the Colts, knowing that they were underdogs, they took some chances that didn't work out, but they were extremely well coached, and Rivers ran the offense very well. So here we are now in the division round of the playoffs against the Baltimore Ravens, who played a tough physical game against the Tennessee Titans last Sunday. They won it. Uh, They won it for a variety of reasons. Um, and look, the Buffalo Bills have to be concerned a bit, I guess, about their run defense against now the Ravens. They're a different animal because they have the quarterback running, Lamar Jackson. But they're a strong running team. They average 35 carries per game, tops in the NFL. They get more yards than anybody else in the NFL per game. Uh, they've had six straight wins, including the playoff win last week, mostly because they're running the ball very well. They have a good offensive line. The Bills are going to have to try to win the battle up front, I think. They have to get back to a physical play on the defensive line. I don't think it's a mismatch physically, but it, it could be. It might be. When they last played the Ravens in December of 2019, the Bills had held Lamar Jackson to 40 yards rushing. They lost by seven points. And they played the Ravens just about as well as anybody played them overall in 2019. 
Last week's Baltimore-Tennessee game was a physical matchup. I expect the Ravens to come out and try to outmuscle the Bills on both sides of the ball this week. They probably think they can do it. It's probably their best chance to do it. It's not a great passing attack. In fact, they're the number one rushing team in the league, but the number 32nd, number 32 passing offense, which is interesting. They So they run it better than anybody else. They throw it worse than just about everybody. Well, everybody in the NFL. And uh, the Bills are... You know, they run it 25 times a game, so they like to run, but the Ravens love to run 35 times a game. It's it's some mismatch issues, I think, for the Bills, and they got to make sure they are physical as they were down the stretch this season. Play physical football as they did against the Jets in New England that sort of turned themselves around around midseason. Now, on the other hand, the Ravens are going to have trouble matching up with the Bills' wide receivers. Uh, they have good corners, but Beasley is healthy. Brown and uh, Davis will be tough to match up. Diggs, of course, tough matchup for Baltimore, too. And they're probably worried about that. Can we match up with those receivers and that quarterback, uh, Josh Allen, for the Buffalo Bills? I think it's a great contrast in styles. A passing team, the Bills, that loves to pass, that has success passing the football, and a great running team in the Baltimore Ravens. A great contrast in styles. Should be a great matchup between these two teams. I have one more thought as the NFL playoffs move into the divisional round this weekend. Eight teams left. Throughout the course of the season on this podcast and other places, I've talked a lot about the emergence of the new quarterbacks in the NFL. It's on display this week. It's on display in the AFC versus the NFC. In the NFC, the division around four teams, three really older veterans. Out of the four quarterbacks remaining, three of them all over 37 years old. Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. The youngest of them, 37, Tom Brady in Tampa, Drew Brees in New Orleans. They're hanging on, but their day is yesterday. They have their teams in the divisional round. I get it. There's an argument to be made for their experience. I get it. But they are not the future. They are the past of the NFL. In this Bills game on Saturday, two draft picks from 2018, two of the five first-rounders from 2018, and the two best ones from 2018, the Bills' Josh Allen and Baltimore's Lamar Jackson. The other game, Cleveland's Baker Mayfield and Kansas City's Pat Mahomes. Mayfield drafted first overall in 2018. Mahomes, of course, drafted 10th overall in 27, uh, the 2017 draft. It's a contrast between the new quarterbacks and the new NFL and the old guard. And I think uh, Bills fans should be happy that the future of the NFL appears to be headed to the AFC. It's going to be very fun over the next several years. It's going to be very competitive over the next several years. But clearly, the future of the NFL lies where these young quarterbacks are, and that is the American Football Conference. Got a good game coming up, the Bills and the Baltimore Ravens. And when we return, we'll talk with our buddy Ross Tucker. Played seven years in the NFL, a couple of them with the Buffalo Bills. Now he's an outstanding radio analyst for Westwood One. Ross Tucker, when we return on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. Our guest is a good one. He is a former Buffalo Bill. He played seven years in the NFL, a couple of them with the Bills. He also played with Washington, Dallas, the Patriots, and the Browns. He is the host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. He broadcasts NFL for Westwood One, NBC, Sirius XM, Philadelphia Eagles Radio. He's a game analyst for the Eagles. We're on the line with Ross Tucker right now. Ross, thanks very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Of course, Murph. My my pleasure. You ask, I say yes. <laughs> you got the Bills and the Ravens with uh, Tom McCarthy, a couple of the Philly guys doing the game here, right? Yeah, I, I can't wait, man. Uh, it was great to call that Colts game on Saturday. Thrilling game. It'll be awesome to be back up there Saturday night. Uh, I mean, I think it's honestly the game of the weekend, Murph. Yeah, I, I, re- I really do. I think it's the best one. 
Why do you think that? I saw that you tweeted that. Why is it the best game of the weekend? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not that interested in the Rams-Packers. I don't think the Rams have a great chance against the Packers. Uh, you know, I think Browns-Chiefs is interesting, but uh, – and, and I understand everybody's going to get all, uh, all excited about Brady versus Breeze and Saints-Bucks, but to me, I, I think coming into the postseason – Nobody was playing better than the Buffalo Bills or the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, those are the two teams. I really thought, Murph, I thought the Steelers would beat the Browns. And I thought the Chiefs were going to have to first beat the Ravens and then beat the Buffalo Bills. And I thought that that would be tough for the Chiefs because I don't think any teams came in to the postseason hotter than Buffalo and Baltimore. When you think about the Bills winning six straight by 10 or more, the scores for the Ravens ever since the Cowboys game the last month, they've been destroying teams. So I think these are two of the five best teams in the NFL. What about the quarterback matchup? I like it. A couple of the first rounders from 2018, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. What do you make of that matchup? You know, it's funny, too, that how many guys got drafted ahead of these guys, right? I mean, you know, people were not thinking – everybody was thinking Baker Mayfield or Darnold or whatever – and look, Baker Mayfield's got his team in the divisional round as well. But I've been very impressed by both these guys. I've said it all year, Murph, on the Ross Tucker podcast and elsewhere. I've never seen a quarterback do what Josh Allen's done. I've never seen it. I've never, he was 52% as a rookie, 58% last year. Now he's at 70%. I, I mean, look, I'm sure you guys have tried to do the research has there ever been a guy to improve by 18% in two years, 12% in one year? I mean, it's it's awesome. I got to tell you, though, Murph, it's a good thing he is that good because the Bills got outplayed by the Colts on Saturday. The Colts were the better team in that game. If Josh Allen doesn't play awesome and Gabriel Davis doesn't have – you know, 72 sideline reviewable play catches <laughs> in that one drive. I think, I think the Bills might be – and honestly, I think Frank Reich uh, called a poor game. I think Frank Reich made a number of mistakes. So, I will – I'd be lying if I didn't tell you I'm not a little bit nervous about the Bills coming off of how they played against the Colts. However, the good news is it doesn't really matter, right? Like, that, that was one matchup. That was one game. They could come out Saturday night – and play awesome, but they, they let the Colts have a season high in yards, yeah. 472 yards. It wasn't good. Let's talk about the Colts and Frank Reich for a second. My take was uh, Reich had him prepared to play, but he was almost over-aggressive. Is that what you think when you say he called a bad game and going for two when it wasn't necessary, uh, going for on fourth down when maybe it wasn't necessary? What do you think of that? Well, I thought he was inconsistent with when he was aggressive and when he was conservative. There were times – where he didn't go for on fourth down, he punted it. That surprised me. Now, they did a nice job with the field position, and they kept the Bills pinned back most of the first half, certainly. So I guess it worked in his favor. What I really disliked, Murph, as a former offensive lineman, was the toss crack on third and goal from the one, the end of the first half. I mean, the strength of the Colts team is their interior offensive line. And you're at the one-yard line. You have Jonathan Taylor, and you call a toss. You lose three yards. Then fourth and goal from the four, you throw it. 
You got to be kidding me, man. Like, I can just tell you, we would be flipping out if I was playing for the Colts. Third and goal at the one. You know you're going for on fourth down. You smash that ball down their throat two plays in a row, and you make them stop you. But you toss it and try to get cute. You lose three yards, and on fourth down, you got to throw it. I hated the third down call. And if you're going to do that, then on fourth down, you should have kicked the field goal. Hey, Ross, uh, from the Colts game, what are the biggest red flags uh, for the Buffalo Bills moving forward? What what should Bills fans be worried about uh, concerning their team? Well, um, the, the big one would be, obviously, they really struggled defensively. I mean, guys were open. They're lucky Rivers missed Pittman on that one slant. Guys were open throughout. They did not do a great job of stopping the run. Now you got Baltimore coming in. I mean, Baltimore is a vicious rushing attack. Lamar Jackson threw the ball pretty well against Tennessee. The Bills are just going to have to be much better on defense and special teams. I mean, special teams really hurt them. They were behind the chain. They were behind the field position that entire game against the Colts. So that's what stands out to me. Got to be better on teams. Got to be much, much better on defense than they were against the Colts. We only have a minute or two left, but I want to get your thoughts on officiating in that game and through the NFL wildcard weekend. I thought the the Zach Pascal uh, issue was a debacle at the end of the game. What did you think? Really a disappointing weekend. I am not one of those guys, Murph, at all. And you can check out my social media, at Ross Tucker NFL. I'm not one of those guys that every game, these refs stink. These like, these are the best we got. They're doing the best job they can. I thought it was a really bad weekend for them. Really bad weekend. I mean, I don't know anyone that doesn't think Pascal was up and fumbled. And I'm glad that the Colts didn't win that game as a result. Because then, then, and by the way, how about the fact, Murph, that McDermott had to call timeout there? You know, I, I, I tweeted all-time great timeout by McDermott. It was all-time great timeout because that, that gave him a chance to look at it. it so first of all, the guys up in the booth should have buzzed down. It shouldn't have come to that, that he had to call timeout. Secondly, it should have been overturned. It was a fumble. So to me, that was a major double whammy for the NFL. They're fortunate that the Buffalo Bills still won that game. Last thing, Russ, you're coming back to uh, Orchard Park this weekend. It's going to be different. There'll only be 6,700 fans, but what do you see it? I got to tell you, it's an interesting atmosphere, and those are the 6,700 loudest Bills fans you've probably ever heard in your life. It's going to be fun. You know, I I cannot wait. Um, That's the one big negative of this season, obviously, has been Bills fans, to a lesser extent Browns fans, haven't been able to enjoy this in the stadium and that shared experience, but – They were loud Saturday. I can't wait to see what Saturday night's like. It is going to be amazing. And you know, Murph, they win that game. There's going to be 670,000 Bills fans (laughs) that say they were at that game. That's right. Hey, Ross, thanks for this. We look forward to seeing you Saturday night. Thanks very much. Absolutely, Murph. Can't wait to see you again. Take care. Ross, thank you. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy. Trying to get some thoughts on the Baltimore Ravens with our next guest, a good buddy of mine from WNST Radio in Baltimore, baltimorepositive.com. 
Uh, Nestor Aparicio is with us. Nestor, what exactly is BaltimorePositive.com? Start with that, please. Well, uh, yeah, I've done sports radio. This will be my 30th year. And I guess just to mix things up a bit, uh, the, the Orioles' lease is up, by the way. It'll be 30 years at Camden Yards this year. It's crazy, right? So, uh, you know, my career began at that point, And I did sports for all these years. We had, you know, the Freddie Gray unrest here back in 2015. Uh, and obviously where the world has wound up this week politically, uh, I decided a couple of years ago that I wanted to start talking about issues other than just sports, but we still do a lot of sports, especially this week. I think I've had everybody from Buffalo on and all the taskers of the world and all the old <laughs> Buffalo Bills that used to be Ravens and Dwan Edwards. I've chased them all down and uh, doing all my thing. So it, it's a web platform now that is um, just a, a bunch of, it's, it's a, a, a podcast platform that uh, is evolved beyond radio and sports radio. So that's okay. it. And you certainly are familiar and, and follow the, the Baltimore Ravens. Tell me what's different about, I mean, last year's Ravens season was amazing. Uh, the MVP of the league at 12 game win streak, uh, uh, you know, what were you, 14 and two, and then a first round playoff disappointment. What's different about the Ravens in, in 2020 going into this, this playoffs? Well, I think you guys saw them in the middle of where they were getting the engine revved up. I mean, they came in and beat you guys in early December, thought that they were, you know, that they were that team. They were 14 and two. They were, and in Baltimore, we've never had an AFC championship game here um, since 1970. The Colts had it before the Raiders in Super Bowl three, but we've never in the modern era had an AFC championship game. That was the one that was going to be, right? Like they were the one seed. All they had to do was beat the lowly Titans who had just got by Tom Brady in his final game and you know the game was a second pancake in a row for Lamar and for this team in the modern era you know Harbaugh has a championship the team has a handful of players um, left over from 2014 Pernell McPhee was a guy who left and came back Justin Tucker uh, the whole wolf pack the uh, the entire Morgan Cox and and Sam Cook uh, and Anthony Levine as well but but really not this is a complete transplant from that era, and they did it sort of seamlessly with Flacco to, to Lamar two years ago, right around this time. Uh, you know, Flacco got injured. There was a game against the, the then uh, L.A. Carson Chargers uh, who, uh, who came in, and Phillip Rivers beat the Ravens in Lamar's first playoff game. I mean, Flacco sat on the bench. There were calls for him to come in. You guys are familiar with quarterback changes and having two or three quarterbacks, which means you probably don't have one. Um, and Lamar last year was a freight train and then it stopped and he got so much better Murph between year one and year two that we said well how much better is he going to be and how much more angry or as he says ticked off he doesn't even use the p word he says ticked off <laughs> and uh and the offseason COVID all of that happened and, you know, they've done things to fortify the team, th things to change the team. They've signed Marlon Humphrey to a big deal. They signed Ronnie Stanley to a big deal. And then Ronnie Stanley got hurt literally 48 hours after he signed a $100 million deal. And Nick Boyle got hurt, who was a huge part of their big, fat, blocking, fullback thing that you're going to see Pat Ricard do a lot of this week. And if you watched the Ravens last week, you saw a lot, about it, a lot of him as well, more him with his hands than, than usual as well. But... This team is finally sort of playing well again. I mean, September, it was, you know, everybody was sloppy in September. Nobody had a training camp. Nobody had preseason. And then they got hurt. And then they got bad, and then and then they got COVID. And, and COVID came, if you remember Thanksgiving night, there was no football in America. Yeah. Uh, poor NBC didn't have Black Friday ads. And the games got moved. We're playing Wednesday afternoon, Tuesday night, Monday afternoon. All these crazy things happened to this team. But along the way, they got better. They figured it out without Stanley. They figured it out without uh, Nick Boyle. 
and now they're coming into Buffalo and they're an underdog, you know, as they probably should be, but they're playing their best football right now and they're healthier than they've been at any point and feeling good about themselves, as you saw when they squatted down on the Titans star last week after the Titans came in. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but John Harbaugh almost went out single-handedly, fought the whole Titans team back in, uh, in November here in Baltimore. So that was a little retribution, 15-yard flag. But this has been a, um, a team that we haven't seen that sort of bad boy streak in them until now. And it's probably not a bad time to see that, Murph. Um, I want to ask you about the quarterback for a second, Lamar Jackson. Um MVP a year ago, not even in the conversation this year, but he's pretty much the same quarterback, and he's such a different style. What does he bring to uh, that team, or what would he bring to any team, and how different do the Ravens play it with uh, Lamar Jackson at quarterback than they would with a, with a standard quarterback, do you think? Well, I think a lot of it's about how they're getting played and where the other personnel is. I mean, the teams that have beaten them to oust, you know, oust them from the playoffs – Chargers two years ago, last year was the Titans. And the Chiefs have given them fits as well. And look, the Bills played them as well as anybody. That game could have gone either way 14 months ago. We would have been 13-3 instead of 14-2. I'll say this for Lamar. He's thrown the ball better than he ever has. He's reading defenses better than he has. Can he put that kind of game together back-to-back-to-back against Tennessee, Buffalo, Kansas City, and then, you know, Meachin, Tampa, Aaron Rodgers, or Drew Brees, whoever it would be, to go on that kind of a run, to be accurate, to be safe with the football. Murph, this is an option, uh, you know, RPO offense, right? First time I saw it, I was in Canton, Ohio, up on the roof at a, you know, the fifth preseason awful August game they play out there. Yep. He came in, and Murphy's running into linebackers. I mean, I'm used to Joe Flacco. He's literally seeking contact. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm, I'm squinching down. Every, he's taking on hits. And I said, how's he going to survive? We're three years into this. He has n- really never taken a really awful blunt hit, to be honest with you. Now, you know, knock on wood, it happens every week in this league, right? Um, but he's not been hit like that. He has some sense about getting out of bounds. One thing I'll say, uh, snow, weather, wind, Orchard Park, Saturday night, January, Buffalo. I don't know that he's built for that, to throw the football around if they get behind. Or, But the thing about the RPO that, that I would say early on was they're going to fumble the ball a lot. They, they, they're just handoffs and communication and loud stadiums and slippery balls and just all of that. The ball's going to wind up on the ground too much for my tastes. I thought that was going to be it going in watching football 50 years, Murph. It, it hasn't been. They take really good care of the football, and when they do that, they find themselves in great down and, and distance because first down, six yards, seven yards, eight yards. Now they're in second and two, second and three. You always have to play Lamar. Lamar's a running – he's the best running back on the field, and he's got the ball, and he'll decide whether he's going to run with it, pass it, pitch it, where it's going to go, and a lot of it's going to be based on the hips – and where the socks of your linebackers and defensive uh, alignment are. Because when he sees the game well, everybody's hips are going left, they zag right, and there's always space for him because he usually makes the first guy miss. Nestor, put yourself in the Bills' position here for a second. The Bills, I'm guessing, are thinking, look, we held uh, Lamar to 40 yards rushing last year. If we can do something like that again and generally play good against the run, we got a good chance of winning this game. Should they... Should they rely on that, thinking let's force the Ravens to throw it? They don't throw it that well. 
I think there's a book out on Lamar to get him frustrated. And, you know, I saw him bang the turf last week against the Titans, and the next play went 48 yards, right? Yeah. We, we've seen him do the Willis Reed thing, right? You're awake late that night, right? A couple yeah. weeks ago. So we, we've seen all of these sort of Jordan-esque magic tricks, but he's won one football game in January. Go into Buffalo. Go into the snow. Go beat the Bills. Go, you know, go do it. Okay, you did that great. Now go, go to Kansas City or, you know, whatever it would be. That's the pathway it's going to need that we're going to need to see that. And I, I think we all saw that a year and a half ago. They went out to Seattle and they beat Seattle. They went out to L.A. and embarrassed the Rams, you know, 45 to say They've had that in them. But they've also had the, oh, three and out. And, oh, defense didn't hold up. And it, uh, somebody broke down on the back. Now it's 7 nothing. Uh, you know, now they go out and there is a pick. And the ball pops up in the air and you're down 14 nothing. What happens when that happens? This team is never going to be in two-minute, never going to be a team going down the field like John Elway with a minute and 30 seconds left to go and no timeouts. Like, they, they don't have that kind of an offense. So getting behind is a problem for them, and they've come back, and they came back from 10 points early last week. I would say their kryptonite would be putting them in bad down and distant. They have to, you, you have to force them to fail on first and second down, and they fall forward. You know what I mean? Literally, they fall forward, and when that happens, they find themselves in third and three. And now, okay, even if they screw up, they're in fourth and one. And if fourth and one from almost anywhere on the field, given the analytics of it and where they are with their kicker and their punter and all and how their defense plays, they go for it. And that really cost them the game. I mean, they, they, they got themselves out of the game the last two years because they're such avid analytics down and distance. They, they, they do everything based on that. Every play, if they're, if they're getting that six yards on every play, you're going to lose. Mustard, last thing, it's such a contrast in style, the way the Bills play to win, the way the Ravens play to win. For that reason, I think maybe that reason alone, I think it's going to be a really close game. What do you think? Oh, I think this is a great game, right? I, I, I really have great admiration for everything that's going on up there with Sean McDermott. And uh, it's hard to turn a franchise around. I'm not telling you anything, Murph. I mean, I'm, I'm here watching the baseball team I have here, right? So yeah. it's really hard to stop losing. And you find a kid like Allen, you draft like that. I mean, I, I, this is a wonderful Saturday night. I am tortured for your fan base. Murph, I came up to, to Buffalo in the late 80s. I was at the first Oiler-Bills playoff game that was not nearly as dramatic as the Frank Wright game. I was there when, uh, uh, when the Art Shell Raiders of Jay Schrader came in in the 51-3 game. You know, that was an amazing day to be in Buffalo that day, uh, you know, to, to, <laughs> to, to, be, to be in a city where you, you feel that sort of energy. And, you know, this week for, for your city to not be able to have that and gather, you know, my heart goes out to you guys, but uh, it'll be a great, great game. This is a, it's a heavyweight match on a Saturday night in, uh, in the middle of a plague, Murph. Thanks, Nestor. Thanks, John. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. With John Murphy. For Beer Talk this week, we want to talk to a distributor in New Jersey. In fact, they have a big chunk of the state of New Jersey. On the line with us, Brian Duran, who is on-premise manager at Shorepoint Distribution Company in Free Old New Jersey. They cover eight counties uh, throughout central New Jersey. Brian, thanks very much for coming on. We appreciate it. Pleasure being with you. Thank you for having me. Tell me about Shorepoint. What you've been around for? I was reading the background of the company. It started out as a as a gas station by the original owners, and now you're all over the place distributing uh, beverages, right? Uh, yeah, it's one. It's one of those Americana stories. A 
Uh, I believe it was, don't, don't quote me, but I believe it was a Schaefer truck broke down in the family that owns the business gas station. The, um, uh, they started talking, long story short, they decided to buy the rights to Schaefer and then we grew into Ballantyne and Stroh's and all the ones that your parents used to have. Yeah. And then through up to the eighties, uh, we were, we were doing pretty well, but we needed to get that big, um, that big win. And then luckily for us in the late eighties, uh, Coors came to town. Coors came to town, and then from Coors, we had Sam Adams and Corona and Sierra Nevada, Yingling, and so on and so forth. So we um, we do you know a, a very decent chunk of the state's total business for beer, wine, liquor, so on and so forth. But yeah, it started with a truck breaking down right. in the owner's gas station. That's amazing. How did you in get the 30s. In, in the 30s? Yeah. How did you get involved yeah. with Shortport, Brian? What got you started in this business? Sports. Uh, I was in a bar with one of my friends and um, <clears throat> I was talking to this gentleman and I was trying to convince him because I'm a Red Sox fan. I grew up in Massachusetts. So I, was eight. Okay. I tried to convince him that the Red Sox were great and that the Yankees suck. <laughs> and after I was done with this hour or so conversation, he's like, what do you do for work? And I was working at Sears at the time. He said, give me your resume. And I gave him my resume. He gave it to the um, the GM of Shorepoint, I had an interview and went from there. You did a selling job. Did you convince him that the Yankees suck eventually? Or? I like to think I did. I'm sure he would argue <laughs> that point, but I did my best. I, you know, I definitely did everything I possibly could to tarnish his Yankees. So I think it worked. How long have you been with Shorepoint, Frank? Uh, the first day was um, September 27, 2004. So I've been here for 16 years. And again, I only know that because the Red Sox, in case you forgot, did win the World Series a couple of days later. And I wanted to go to the parade, but I thought that was a bad career move. <laughs> Probably. A couple of things I want to ask you about. Uh, and start with how the beer industry has changed. You talked about how uh, Shore Point got a big breakthrough with uh, the addition of Coors and then some of the bigger brands. Um, how has the beer industry changed in terms of big beer versus craft beers and imports over the years in, in your tenure and even before that? Um, well, I mean, before I got a majority of beer was regional, which everybody knew between your, again, Schaefer's, Olympia, Ballantyne, Natty Bow, whatever you want to say. And then the big three came to prominence with Bud Miller and Coors and they, they crushed it for 20 or 30 years. And then around the early 2000s, people started, palates started changing and imports came back, uh, with a vengeance and, Throughout the last couple of years, um, the craft beer explosion just it just keep you just keep taking bites out of the big guys. And that's what it comes down to. So now there's I, I want to say and I'm probably wrong. I think there's five thousand breweries in America right now wow. between all the crafts. So no matter what, you're just going to keep taking bites out of the big guys. And then, um, you know, over the last three years, the explosions of seltzer has now it's taking it to a whole nother level. I, like I said, I've been doing this for 16 years and we saw other ones that come in. I don't, do you remember when um, not your father's root beer came in and how that was a big thing. When, it, when the seltzer thing was first starting, everybody was like, Oh, it's not, it's another, not your father's root beer. And we were looking around and be like, no, it's not. This is something we've never seen before. And the numbers, if you look right now for the seltzer market are through the roof. So, Beer's just being, in a, in, a, in a positive way, it's being splintered and there's more people in the game. It's just those big three had to adapt and that's why they have 
like we have cores which has blue moon and so on and so forth so they, they had to just keep up with innovation which was the big part i'm intrigued by the explosion of seltzer that you talked about uh how much bigger can it get and what is it about seltzer that uh, appears to american tastes right now do you think do you drink regular seltzer no oh what? well a, a lot of people drink regular seltzer i mean uh, the eye-opening point for me was about three years ago i was in a bar uh working and uh, i was looking down the bar and there was a bucket of ice and i uh i went to the bartender I'm like what is in a bucket of ice they're like oh it's white claw and i said well why is it in white why is it in a bucket he goes well we can't put it in the cold boxes quick enough um to get a cold for the customers so i literally i took a step back and i looked around and it was men women young old everybody from every segment was drinking the seltzers and i was just you know I, I called my bosses. I'm like, we might have something here because it didn't matter what group you came from. They were all drinking it because a lot of people drink seltzer at home. So it's an easy progression. And will it get much bigger or is it peaked, do you think? I don't think it's peaked. I definitely don't think it's going to be growing at the 200 level or so on and so forth. But um, when they actually give you a lot of statistics, I believe it's only brand recognition is only like 23 or 26%. So it still has a, a long uh, a way to go. I just don't know if it's going to be in the 200 or, you know, 300% where it's been for the last two to three years. Right. Back to beer for a moment, Dad. And uh, Shorepoint uh, distributes a lot of import beers. You're about ready to distribute Sullivan's, uh, Sullivan's products from uh, my employer, Sullivan's Brewing Company in Ireland. Uh, why did you take on Sullivan's and what do you think of the Sullivan's brands? Um, well, it started with my boss um, and a gentleman by the name of uh, Michael Mead having a conversation um, because you uh, Sullivan's is in a certain part of the state. It's in northern New Jersey, but it hasn't come down here yet. So they got to talking and um, they asked me, you know, do I want to run the brand? And I said, I'd love to. Truth be told, I have a little bit of Irish heritage. And so it's I love the story. The story is a typical Irish story with gambling and 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 you know uh families intermingling together and, and the whole nine it's just it's one of those quintessential irish stories um plus i mean truth be told we don't have guinness so we always wanted to have something that would um give us an opportunity for with running the on-premise you try and cover every single segment. You want your light beer, you want your craft beer, you want your imports, you want just, and when it came to Shorepoint specifically, we did not have an authentic Irish stout that had the chops that could go up against some of the bigger guys. With Sullivan's, we see this as an opportunity because now being the oldest Irish brewery at 1702, that in this business, if you can tell a story, a story can go for miles. So this, again, this, this, this brand and this company has a story that is great. And when I can't, I actually have my whole presentation for the sales guys for Friday. I'm actually ridiculously excited about talking about it because it's again, families from Ireland. So a lot of this stuff I've heard throughout my whole life. What are you going to tell your sales guys when you uh, present Sullivan's to them? Uh, first, the history, 1702. Um, first incorporated um, uh, brewery in Ireland. Uh, going up through the ranks, Smittix is, is um, 
is open across the street from. They had a, 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 a very uh, healthy rivalry going back and forth. Uh, they have a lot of philanthropy, which pays a lot now because during the potato famines in the late uh, in the middle of 1800s in Ireland, those two companies, if, if I read it correctly, were actually very supportive on not only beer as food, you know, so helping out one another plus monetarily. Then the horse race, the great horse race, which, you know, the, um, um, one of the heirs of Sullivan's decided to put a healthy sum of money on a horse race. And unfortunately that horse didn't come in and they had to pay for that, um, for that brewery. Um, but they had to pay for that bet through proceeds from the brewery. So the brewery went away. The Smittick's family stepped up, hired a lot of the people who were over in that brewery, brought them over to theirs. Um, they were, you know, doing fantastic in, um, in the market. Guinness came along, bought them. Years later, Diageo, uh, which is a massive liquor and beer company, buys them. And that the Smittick's family now, it's the Smittick's family back to, you know, um, is going back to the route, roots of actually bringing back an authentic Irish beer to English soil. Um, because unfortunately, it sounds like the Smittick's don't own their own name. Diageo owns it. And this is the way of doing it um, and getting a great product with a great story back into America. It is a good story. We're with Brian Duran from Shorepoint Distribution in New Jersey. You mentioned how you have a big chunk of the state of New Jersey. It's It seems to me it's kind of a diversified chunk too, right? You have Jersey Shore, which, I mean, you tell me that may be seasonal to more, you know, almost uh, the suburbs of, of the New York metropolitan area. That's kind of a diverse and, and huge distribution area, huge demographics, I would think, uh, a diversity of demographics in your distribution area. Well, we cover every aspect of the market. But to your point, for uh, uh, our southern counties, they are right on the Atlantic Ocean, but they also extend west for a bunch of military bases. And, and you know, it is still the Garden State. So there is a lot of um, uh, farms and everything else to the western side of that. And then you go up through the center of New Jersey, where, if again, I, I said before, if anybody's ever been on the New Jersey Turnpike, you have driven through there. So <laughs> it's a little bit more of a dense populated area. Um, uh, ethnic pockets all over the place from Latin populations to Polish populations to Portuguese populations all throughout the center of New Jersey. And then we wind up on the west side of it, where there's the mountains, um, estates, like massive um, um, territory out there. So we literally have every possible uh, demographic and um, geographical possibility here. Brian, we're 10 or 11 months into uh, COVID, into the coronavirus and the and the quarantines that have gone on. Has Shorepoint encountered many, if all at all, uh, uh, supply issues, both from the, the big beers, from uh, the, the imports, from the craft beers? Is it is it difficult to keep beer coming in when, when there's so many hurdles as far as uh, 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 quarantines, that sort of thing? Does a fat baby sweat? <laughs> It's been it has been the biggest challenge that we have by far. And it goes through. Uh, I mean, it's with everything and every aspect of everybody's life. When you uh, shut down a supply chain, no matter what happens, it's going to take you months and hopefully not years to get it back up to where it was before. Um, all of our all of our breweries. It, it, maybe a half a dozen really didn't have those issues, but majority of our breweries all had those issues. Plus there's a massive can shortage going on. You've probably noticed that in liquor stores, you're getting a lot more beers, wine, 
liquor, everything is being sold in cans. So there's a tin problem in the world. And now all the companies are trying to buy up as much as they can. Um, it's, it's, it's a problem. And like anything else in life, 80% of the people totally understand this, totally get it. Um, but there's that other 20%. <laughs> yeah. And it, that, that can always be the fun time. <laughs> right. now, I know what the situation is for, uh, for bars and taverns in, in uh, this part of New York State, upstate New York, the western part of the state. What's it like in the state of New Jersey? Are bars open? Are there severe restrictions? What's going on? It's heartbreaking. Uh, I've been doing this job for seven to eight years. I know these people professionally, some personally, some I've been to their house. I know their kids. Same thing as you probably do in your own neighborhood. And it's just, we are running right now at 25% inside. A lot of these places, you can't turn on the lights without 50%. And you did see a lot of people adapt. Like I have a bunch of customers who said, no matter what, they're not going out because of COVID. So they changed their business models to be a lot of to-go and, and beer-to-go and growlers and cut holes in their buildings so that you could have walk-up windows and so on and so forth. That worked for a lot of people. Unfortunately, it's just not working for a, a lot of other people. And net-net, we think that from the start of, say, February 2020 to February 2021, we're going to lose about 30% of our bars and restaurants. And all the people and all the service industry and everything that goes along with it. So, uh, like I said, it's just heartbreaking because they're doing everything they could, can. But this pandemic is it's not laying up as of yet. Well, that brings me to my last and final question. Have, have you at short point begin to envision uh, the breakout, the end of the quarantine, the end of the virus and uh, what it will take to get up and running again? Or am I premature? Is it too soon to think about that? Um, no, well, we have plans for it. We have plans and, and our breweries all have plans for it. Um, uh, you know, we were like, for instance, we were doing our numbers for 2021 and where is just use like say draft beer, where is draft beer going to fall? Cause draft beer is primarily sold in a bar or restaurant with somebody sitting at a bar. Is it going to be 60% of 2019? Is it going to be 50%? And nobody really knows. So it comes out like anything else. It's how is this vaccine going to be taken in? How is, um, you know, how are our state and local governments going to open everybody back up? And if anybody tells you they know, they're lying. So we just, we have as many plans as we have in place. Um, and I'm not saying you're hoping for the best, but I don't know what else you're really doing. Hey, Brian, thanks for this. Uh, best of luck to you and the folks at Shorepoint. Uh, good luck with uh, representing Sullivan starting in the next week or so. We appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. Well, thanks to our guests. Had a great time today talking with Ross Tucker, talking about the Bills and the postseason. Ross will be in Orchard Park Saturday for the Bills and the Ravens, the game of the weekend, he says. I hope he's right. Thanks to Nestor Aparicio of Baltimore talking about the Ravens. I've known Nestor for a long, long time. He's got fresh takes. He's got good insight into the Ravens, one of the most interesting teams in the NFL over the last, what, five years or so. Thanks to our beer guest, Brian Durand of Shore Point Distribution of Freehold, New Jersey. They're ready to start distributing Sullivan's products throughout New Jersey from the shore 
to the metropolitan New York City area. Some interesting stories from Brian Durant. Sullivan's Brewing Company, our sponsors from Kilkenny, Ireland, the makers of Sullivan's Malting's Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. Available in pubs and bars all over Bill's country here in Buffalo, throughout upstate New York. Available downstate in New York City and Long Island. Available in New Jersey. Thanks in large part to Short Point Distributing starting next week. Sullivan's is available in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Cleveland, and Columbus, Ohio, in Georgia, in Atlanta, and Savannah. Look for it in your favorite pub or bar or in stores. If you got a reaction to our podcast, love to hear it. Send us an email, Kickoff at gmail.com. We'll take your suggestions, what you liked, what you didn't like, what you'd like to hear, whatever. Send us an email, Kickoff one word, at gmail.com. Thanks to our producer, Pat Fellball. The playoffs are here. We'll talk about the Bills and the Ravens next week right here on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You've been listening to John Murphy and Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's all about the Bills and the Beards.